Welcome to New Season Ministry with Evangelist Jeremy Cook. We hope today's message will challenge, encourage, and uplift you in your walk with the Lord. Enjoy the message. All right, so if you have your Bibles tonight, go with me tonight to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. The book of Revelation, chapter 2. We are tonight, I want to begin a series of messages and teaching, if I can, on the subject of life. That's what I want to talk to you tonight about. So over the next several weeks, through the next several times that I have the honor of taking the pulpit, I want to talk to you tonight, or I want to talk to you about life. And tonight, I want us to look, if we can, at Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Now, I'm not going to take a specific text tonight, and this is not going to be an exposition of everything concerning Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, but I want, to, I want us to look at some things, and I want us to tie some things together tonight that is going to help us. Because in Revelation chapter 2 and in Revelation chapter 3, we read seven messages that God gives to seven churches. And he speaks to these churches. He tells these churches the fact that I know your works. I know everything about you is what Christ would say to these churches. There was nothing that was hidden to these, uh, from God concerning these churches. God knew every, every detail, every good thing about them, every bad thing about them, every indifferent thing about them. And so it caused me to take a look at what God was speaking to these churches and what God was wanting to say. And really, what did God have against some of these churches? And then what did God commend about some of these churches? And so as we start this week, as we start tonight by talking about this subject called life, I want us to talk tonight uh, on the subject of life giving people. Life giving people. And I want us to use these seven churches tonight as a as a crutch or as a, as a springboard to really what I want us to get to tonight. What do we know about the churches in Revelation? What do we know about them? Well, let's take briefly, real quick, let's take a look at these seven churches to see what God would have to say about the church. You see, Ephesus was the church that, that left its first love. Didn't lose its first love, but it left its first love. It was a church that was doctrinally pure. It didn't, it didn't tolerate false doctrine. They, were, they endured hardships. They endured persecution. They, they challenged those people that tried to come in and preach something that was different. But Jesus would look at this church and say, Nevertheless, I have someone against you because you have left your first love. And he calls the church at Ephesus to repentance. What about the church at Smyrna? The church at Smyrna, God would describe them as the faithful church. 
He would say that you have suffered persecution for my name's sake and you have not fainted. And he would give them the charge. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life that fadeth not away. What about the church at Pergamos? The church at Pergamos was a church that was full of compromise and it would accept false doctrine. And God commanded that church to repent. What about the church at Thyatira? You know that church. That church at Thyatira was the church that God would criticize and would say, you know, there is a prophetess in there. As a matter of fact, he would identify the spirit behind what was going on in Thyatira. And he would say, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is the spirit of Jezebel that is operating into your church. You know, that spirit that likes to manipulate that spirit that likes to that likes to, to make people stumble cast a stumbling block in front of people and Jesus would actually look at that church and he would tell the church that hey listen if you don't repent of this uh, of what is going on in your church and you don't get rid of that spirit he would say I'll cast you into a sick bed oh I didn't think God would make anybody sick oh yes he will he said, I'll cast you into a sick bed. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, I, he told the church at Thyatira, he said, if you don't repent, he said, I'll come and fight against you. And so the church at Thyatira was a church that was controlled by a Jezebel spirit. What about the church at Sardis? The church at Sardis was a church that had a good reputation. You know, that was the church in the upper part of town. That was the church that had all the ministries that had... All of, the, all of the fellowship functions that had the great praise team, had the great choir, had the great preaching, had a reputation that it was good, but God would look at the church at Sardis and would tell the church at Sardis, you are spiritually dead. You have a name that you are alive, but you are spiritually dead. But then we come to the church at Philadelphia, and he would tell the church at Philadelphia, Philadelphia, you are a church of love. You are the church that is fulfilling the great commission. You are going out into the highways and to the byways and you are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would say because of that, he said I've put before you an open door that no man is going to be able to shut, that no man is going to be able to close because what I open, no man is going to be able to shut and what I shut, no man is going to be able to open. And he would tell the church at Philadelphia and I have given to you the key of David. Then he would tell the church at Laodicea. It's, this, it's the lukewarm church. As a matter of fact, it was the only church out of the seven churches that made God physically sick to his stomach. Because he would look at the church at Laodicea and he would tell the Laodicean church, he said, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because you are saying, Laodicea, that I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I've got all this prosperity. I've got plenty of money in the bank. And God, I really don't need you. The Laodicean church was the church that became indifferent to the things of God. And what we notice here in these seven churches, that God would look at these seven churches and seven times, he would tell the church, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now you may be saying, well, Pastor Jeremy, what in the world does that have 
to do with life giving or being a life giving people well I'm glad that you asked that question so let's go to Revelation chapter 1 let's look at Revelation chapter 1 tonight Revelation chapter 1 talks about the unveiling of Jesus Christ Revelation chapter 1 would tell us the fact that it opens up by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ Christ. Can I just stop right here and just let me teach this for a minute. If you read the book of Revelation and the only thing that you're concerned about is who the Antichrist is and all of that and you don't get a clear picture of who Jesus is, then you've missed the point of what the book of Revelation is all about. Because the book of Revelation is an unveiling for who Jesus is. Can somebody say that? And so we see that John is on the Isle of Patmos. John is working in, 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 a, in a prison camp on the Isle of Patmos. And while he is working there, he receives the vision of Jesus Christ. He receives a vision of who Jesus Christ is. And in verse 12, the Bible would say, he said, I heard a voice behind me. And it sounded like the voice of many thunders. And it sounded like, he said, I looked behind me to see the voice that was that was speaking and when he turned around what did John see John saw seven golden candlesticks or seven golden lampstands but who was in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks John would say in Revelation chapter 1 and verses 12 through 16 he said I saw one that was in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and his hair was white like wool his eyes were as a flame of fire his feet were as, were as fine brass out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his voice was the sound of uh, it was the sound of many waters and we see Jesus in the midst of the candlesticks. Now, what are the candlesticks? What are the what does the candlesticks in Revelation chapter one actually represent? Well, the Bible says that in Revelation chapter one that the candlesticks represent the church. It represents the seven churches that we just talked about in Revelation chapter two and in chapter three. But what does this tell us about being life-giving people? You notice that you have seven golden candlesticks that represent the church. And they are filling the air with light. But what does that light show? Because who's in the midst of the light? Jesus is in the midst of the candlesticks. And this is what this tells me tonight, church. Above everything else, the church is to be a reflection of who Jesus Christ really is. Mm, I'm getting ready to preach and I'm going to try not to preach too hard tonight. But if, we, if Jesus is in the midst of the church, the church is to be a reflection of who Jesus Christ is. So when they see the church, do you know what they ought to be able to see? They ought to be able to see the reflection of who Christ is. Amen. And here's the thing that I have found out. 
the justification for God using a people is if they are a life-giving reflection of who Jesus Christ really is. There's a lot of business today asking about who is it that God really uses? What type of men or what type of women do God actually use? Can I tell you? Let me answer that question for you tonight and tell you the people that God uses are people that reflect his image. Why? Because our purpose in this life is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is our sole purpose. That is the purpose of my life. That is the purpose of your life. And if we are not being conformed into the image of God and when people look at us and when people examine our lives, they can see our good deeds. They can see our good works. They can see everything else they can see all they can see all the nice things that they that we that they do they can see us pray they can see us lay hands on the sick they can see us give money they can see us do all of these things but if through all of that they cannot see the reflection of Jesus Christ God and in his infinite wisdom is under no obligation to use people that are not a reflection of who he is hmm so here's the question and looking at these seven churches. Does God take the good with the bad? Mm. God is not obligated to continue using a people who are not fulfilling the divine purpose that Christ has called them to be. I mean, think about it. When he is talking to these churches, five of the seven churches were not fulfilling their purpose or their destiny, and God called them to repentance. He would tell the church at Ephesus, you know what? You're even preaching the right message. You're hating the things that, I am, that you are supposed to hate. You are against false doctrine. You're teaching the right things. You have patience. You have endurance. You have all of those things. Nevertheless, I have something against you. Because you have left your first love. He would tell, he would tell the other churches. Each of these seven churches except two. Except the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia. Every one of them, and the other five, God would look at those churches and would tell those churches, I have something against you. There is something that is in you that is contradictory to what the reflection of my life is supposed to be in you. Mm. We're going to get deep tonight. Because here is the interesting thing. There, sometimes we, we say, well, they have a good quality. They have these good qualities. They, good, they do good things. They do good deeds. I've seen them pray. I've seen them down in the altar praying. But however, is their life a reflection of who Jesus is? Because that is what God always judges his standard by. 
Because here's the interesting thing. Look at the words of Jesus. Jesus looked at his disciples and he would say, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, and there will be those on that day that will stand up and say, well, wait a minute. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not done many marvelous works in your name? And you know what the interesting thing is? There is, not, there is no indication that what they were telling Jesus was untrue. Mm. We've cast out devils. We've laid hands on the sick. And they have recovered is what these people are saying. But listen to what Jesus would tell them. Jesus would tell them, depart from me. What? I never knew you. You that work iniquity. That word new in the in the in the Greek, that word new is actually an intimate term. It is a it is, it is, it is a relationship term that we see here. So in relation to the seven churches, you would see all of these great things, like with the church at Ephesus. You're preaching the right things. But however, there is something that is against you because you have left your first love. In five of these seven churches, he calls, us to, re he calls to repentance. So, we're word people. We are people of the word. So if God is looking at me and he's telling me, Jeremy, there is something in your life that needs to be repented of. And if I do not repent of it, what does that do to my relationship with God? Mm. It actually severs the relationship with God. Because what God is looking for in his body is life. And what is this life that he's looking for? Well, to understand this, you've got to go to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Because Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 will tell us the need for the flow of the Spirit in our lives. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 will start off by talking about how that Zechariah is awakened. And he's shown the oil flowing from the two olive trees. And it is flowing and it is outwards. And here's what I have noticed in this. The church is never meant to be a cistern that simply contains the oil. We are meant to be a conduit for the oil 
to flow through. And if we look closely at these churches, if we look closely at what God is wanting, what He is wanting is the oil flowing, is a constant of reminder of the life-giving power that is in us. It is a constant reminder of the life that we have in the victory over death. Because if we are in Christ, we are partakers of life and not death. But here's, here's the thing that I want to get at. The oil that is in this bottle. How many knows that this oil can eventually go back? You know the reason why the oil in that bottle will eventually go bad? It's because if it just sits in this bottle and it is never used and poured out for its intended purposes, the oil will go bad. And can I tell you, we have a lot of churches, we have a lot of people that are sitting on the oil reservoir Come on, you ain't going to help me preach tonight. That are sitting on the oil reservoir and they are and they are becoming cisterns and stealing, instead of being a conduit of the oil flowing through because when the oil flows through then it gives life to everything that touches. Mm. We've got to understand tonight that we are not able to do the things we do because of our own might or our own strength. Because what would he tell Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6? And he would say, Zechariah, this is the word to you, O Zerubbabel. It is not by might. It is not by power. But it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. And we in these last days have to be men and women of God that are a conduit of life through the aid of the Spirit of God. If we just simply come together and we sit on the reservoir of the oil, but we do not allow the oil to flow through us, then we are a contradiction to what God intended for life-giving people to be. Because everything that the oil touches ought to bring about healing and ought to bring about life to his people. Oh. The church is the expression of Christ. Again, when when the world sees the church, they ought to be able to see Jesus. So here's the question. What is the world seeing with us? What is the world seeing with Jeremy Cook? What is the world seeing with Harvest Time? What does the world see with, with your life and with my life? Are we an expression of life? Or are we an expression of death? Mm. You see, uh, two of the churches in Revelation, 
showed the express image of who Christ is. The other churches had elements of death in them because of their lack of flowing oil. You see, any time, let's back up. And Romans, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And where there is anything that contradicts the expression of who God is, Satan takes a foothold in that. And then there are elements that contradict the life that we claim that we have. We're getting deep tonight. Because I'm not going to get into sanctification too much tonight. That'll be, at, that'll, be at another, that'll be at another time. But can I tell you, and I challenge you to do a deep study on these seven churches. Unless there was repentance, only two of the churches would make it. Why? Because anytime that the enemy can get a foothold in our lives, we become a contradiction to the purpose of God in our lives. Can I tell you what I think that the, that the issue that most non-church people have with church people is a lot of what they see is a contradiction to the outflow of life that we claim to have. Yes. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to meddle tonight. But if the enemy can get a foothold in your life through offense, if the enemy can get a foothold in your life through hatred, if the enemy can get a foothold in your life through jealousy, if the enemy can get a foothold in your life through false doctrine, if the enemy can get a, a foothold in your life whatsoever, it is, it, is, it, it, it is a contradiction. We cannot express the image of life that God has intended for us to have. More often than not, what we see, what we see is as we as Satan weaves his way through things. We see, because think about this. What did Jesus say? Jesus said in John 10 and 10, what did he say? The thief does three things. What does the thief do? Steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Amen. We as the church, are you ready? Listen to this. We have been apprehended by God. Paul would write about this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. And I love this. I was, I was reading this today and it got me. It really hit me. Listen to what he says. He says, not, not in Philippians 3 verse 12, not as though I had already attained or either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that which for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. 
That means that Jesus apprehended us. That means that Jesus, he, he, he captured us. He captured our, he, out of our lives. And when he apprehends us, there is a purpose for us and we have been called to fulfill His purpose. Can I tell you, if you think salvation is the end of it, you're sadly mistaken. Salvation is just the beginning. The Lord expects something of us. When you go to a job and you apply for that job, When we apply for that job, we fill out that application, we go into we go into that job interview. That boss, that person who's doing that interview looks across the table at us and says, "We're willing to pay you X amount of dollars an hour for this many hours of work." And this is what we expect. This is your job description. This is what is required of you. So you walk in there knowing the expectation of the employer-employee relationship. So the expectation of the employer is that you're going to be here every day, work 40 hours a week, and this is your job description, and this is what we expect for you to do. And then on the other end, the expectation of the employee is to say, I'm going to work 40 hours a week and on Friday, I'm going to get a paycheck that is going to reflect what the boss has told me. And can I tell you, the modern church is the only church that really, more often than not, doesn't have an expectation. See, we expect God to do everything. We expect God to meet all of our financial needs. We expect God to heal everything in our bodies. We expect God to do to 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 grow the church. We expect God to do all of these different things. The Lord spoke to me this in the last couple of weeks. And this is what he spoke to me. This is what he said. He said, "Jerry, never ever pray another prayer again with which you are not willing to be part of the answer." Even in the church, we want to come to church. We want to sit down on the pew. We want to listen to a few songs. We want to listen to a good message. But above that, most of the people sitting in any given church does not want the expectation from pastors to do anything else. That is the reason why You've heard this said, and I can't remember exactly off the top of my head what the statistics are. Is that you know, 100% of the work is done by like 5% of the people. Why? Because there's no expectation. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. And so, with that being said, God has an expectation of His people. And here is the interesting thing. We are judged as the people of God according to His expectation 
of us. This is what God spoke to me. God spoke to me and said, I will reject what is not useful. You see, God's purpose for His people is to raise up vessels of honor. So what does that mean? If there has to be vessels of honor, then there also has to be what? Vessels of dishonor. You see, that is why God does not accept mediocrity. God does not accept compromise. And God does not accept sin. See, let's back up. We say, does God take the good with the bad? I mean, preach a little bit about standing before God on that day. God does not look, is not going to look at us and say, well, you gave an awful lot to the church, but you still have this area of sin in your life. So, but you know what? But since you gave, go ahead and come on in. We'll excuse all of that. No. One of my good friends has since gone on to be with the Lord, Brother Burt Ford. He used to stand up. I mean, if anybody could ever play a tambourine, Brother Burt Ford could play a tambourine. I'm not a tambourine person. If I had my way, they'd be outlawed in every church in America. Because half the people who try to play a tambourine don't know how to play a tambourine. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being honest. Let me be, can I be honest for a minute here? But I tell you, if anybody knew how to play a tambourine, Brother Bort Ford knew how to play a tambourine. He could walk up on a stage with that tambourine, and I'm telling you, and just he would just go to town on it. And he would sing this song to the top of his lungs. And he would sing the song that said 99 and a half won't do. He said, you've got to live right to make a hundred. Because 99 and a half won't do. And I'm telling you because he was a man that believed that you had to serve the complete purpose of who God is. You had to serve the complete purpose. It wasn't just a little bit in and a little bit out. It wasn't one foot in today and one foot out tomorrow. It wasn't a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It either had to be all God or it was all or nothing. And God requires of His people that if if we are not useful, God discards. That which does not produce life. Are you ready? I know this is heavy tonight. But this is the word of the Lord which God gave me. That which does not produce life has no divine purpose in the kingdom of God. If we are not producing life, if my life is not producing life, I have no purpose in the kingdom of God. Because the purpose of every vessel in the kingdom of God is to be a people who, what? Gives life. You see, the enemy brings about death. But Christ brings about abundant life. A life that is flowing out of us. To others. So let me go on. I've got. I've just got just a few more things to say here. So why was the church raised up? 
Seven times in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus speaks of the overcoming life. He tells the church at Ephesus to him that overcomes. He tells the church at Smyrna to him that overcomes. He tells the church at Pergamos to him that overcomes. Seven times he will tell those churches to him that overcomes. We have been raised up to show forth the testimony of life in a world that is engulfed by death. I'm going to say that again. We have been raised up to show forth the testimony of life in a world that is engulfed by death. You see, being an overcomer is not something that a select few in the church should experience. Everybody under the sound of my voice should be living the overcoming life. Our life should be filled to life and that more abundantly overflowing. Because here's the thing, if we are a reflection of Christ, we are a reflection of His life. Why? Because it is the same power, oh my goodness, I'm getting ready to preach, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says that it is this same power that has raised Jesus from the dead. It also dwells in you. And so if we are a representation of the life that God gives out, can I tell you, that power and that life that raised Jesus from the dead also lives in you. And it's not up to us to sit on the life that we have. It is for us to be a conduit to let the life flow out of us to touch the dry and dead places and to spring forth the life and to say the enemy may have come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the power is here to give you life and that more abundantly. So finally, why do you say all of this tonight? Why are you so heavy tonight? Because here's why. We are in the final battle. And there is a battle over this life. I'm not talking about this natural life. The Bible talks about this natural life. That this natural life is nothing but a vapor. It's here today and it's and it's gone tomorrow. And so you know we're 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 not you know we we, life this life is fleeting. Pastor, we've heard pastor preach from Ecclesiastes that vanity is vanity. All things all things are 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 vanities. Our riches they're all vanity. The money that we have in the bank it's all vanity. The houses that we live in it's all vanity. Everything that we own in this present life it is all vanity. But the thing that is priceless and the thing that is eternal and the thing that is more precious than rubies is the life that is only inside of us. And the enemy, he's not coming after your finances. He's not coming, he's not coming after your health. He, the, the, those may all be disguises of what the enemy is trying to do. But ultimately what the enemy is trying to do in these last days is the enemy is trying to come after the life that is inside of you. The enemy is trying to come after the seed that is only inside of you. 
Why? Because the Bible says that the thief is coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I tell you, your battle is not the fact that you got a flat tire on the way to work today. The battle is the fact that the enemy is trying to rob you of the seat that is in your life. And we are in a battle. And we need to contend in these last days for the life that Jesus Christ has given us. Jude tells us to earnestly contend for the faith. You ought to contend for this faith in this life. Daniel tells us that in the last days, the enemy will attempt to wear out the saints of the Most High. And can I tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you. When we're wore out, we're not useful. Amen. That's, why, that's, why I make, that's why I make it a policy. I, listen, I know some of us are not, I, I, I'm, not I'm not casting stones. I'm trying to be despair. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Everybody needs a day off. Yeah, see, listen, I, I grew up, I, I grew up in, 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 in a culture that really criticized just sitting down and resting. Because that was, you know, that was, can I, can I just speak to, can I just speak to us men? That, that makes us a man. But we missed out on family. Come on, I'm preaching to the men here for just... Uh, we're, on, I'm, I'm preaching to the men just for a minute here. Come on. You know, because... You know, and so you know, we're, we're killing ourselves 80, 90, 100, you know, 100 hour work weeks. Now listen to me carefully. So there's two extremes to this. Because then we've got another group of people that they're resting before they ever get tired. Come on. And I tell you, oh my goodness, I, I'm going to try not to meddle too much. Both of them are sin. And I believe I can prove it by the Word of God. Because when you wear yourself out completely, you become, you become useless. And what we find out is... Satan is trying to wear us out in these last days. Trying to get us so burdensome. Trying to get us so... Why? Because of the life that is in us. Listen. Your battle is not the fact that the washing machine is not washing today. Yes. I mean, if the enemy can get you to fall out with God over a washing machine, good grief, your salvation is pretty cheap. Your, 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 your battle is not, is not that the car is not cranking up today. Can I just get, can I tell you, and I'm really trying hard not to meddle right now, but I, I, I just feel it and, and Lord help me. But I, 
I, but I, I'm at the point where I, I get I get worrisome. I always say, you know, man, the, the enemy's really fighting me today. Well, how's the enemy fighting you? Man, I got up this morning and, and, and the car and the car wouldn't crank. And I tell you, you know, the enemy just all oh, just just trying to test me today. You know, maybe God was trying to prevent something from you. You see, the, the, the enemy's job is not to give you a flat tire. Again, I'll say it. If you're losing your salvation over that, your salvation's cheap. But he's trying to wear us out. Why? So that we don't become useful. Because that's right. He wants the seed in you. So that when we stand before God, we look at God, God looks at us and says, you know what? You did not fulfill the divine purpose I had for you. And if we are not people who, who, who fulfill the divine purpose, He is going to say to us, depart from me, I never knew you. Hmm. And so let me, let, me, let me back up real quick. Give me 30 seconds. Just, just say this part here. As far as rest goes, if at all possible, you need to take you a day of rest every week. Monday's my day of rest. Well, well I thought Sunday was... was the Sabbath days. Sunday was the day of rest. Um, I'm a preacher. That ain't day of rest for me. And for some of you that work so hard and helping with the things of this ministry, that's not a day of rest for you either. Am I preaching? Am I preaching okay? Alright. You know, sometimes we come to church and we like with our homecoming. We come to church and we're, and we're doing the work and God honors that. God honors that. But when we leave, that didn't feel like a rest day, did it? Woo, praise the Lord. We rested on the Sabbath day. No, we didn't. We worked our tails off, didn't we? And so for me, I try to make Monday my rest day. And you know what I do on Mondays? Nothing. Unless somebody's dying, I ain't doing squat. That flies in the face of some of our culture. Oh, man, you, that Pastor Jeremy, he's just lazy. He ain't doing anything. Think of all that time. No, I'm resting. Because if I get to a place to where I can be so burned out, I become unuseful. And I tell you, if the enemy cannot make you stop going to church, can't make you stop praying, can't make you stop giving, can't make you stop, he'll make you so busy, he'll wear you out that you ain't good for the kingdom of God for anything in the world. Yes. Why? Because he's after the seed in your life. Yes. But thank God. <laughs> I want to read this just, I want to read this how I have it down here. But the good news is we can be a representation 
of the life of God in these last days. We can be a representation of the life that God has for us or that we are to show forth in these last days. So, Brother Jeremy, what is all this about? Simply this. In these last days, God's want us to be a life-giving people. Wants us to be a people that shows forth light, that is a reflection of Jesus. If the last few weeks of ministry here at this church has been any indication, is that people are looking for people who are alive. I believe that. We see fruit. We see fruit of that. I believe, and I believe that in my spirit tonight that we see, we are starting to see the fruit of that. So Brother Jeremy, what do you, so what is your challenge to me? Here's my challenge. Ask yourself or ask the Lord, Lord, am I a representation of the life that should flow out of me? May be surprised. God may look at you like He did with Smyrna and Philadelphia and say, you know what? Everything's okay. He may look at some of us and go, um, there's some contradictions here. Hey, this, this area here. Oh, this, this right here. Because what did He tell? Let me just say this and I'm wearing it to a close. What did He tell the church at Laodicea who was... Lukewarm. One of the, to me, it is one of the most profound statements that Jesus will ever make to anybody. And he says this As many as I love, I chasten. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door. And knock. That's not, a, that's not an invitation to sinners. We preach that to sinners because it makes a good altar call. But he's not speaking that to the world. He's speaking that to the church. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open up the door, he says, I will come in and sit with him and he with me. So with all of this... My challenge to you in this next season that we're in, and I believe that we started this weekend, this past weekend, is to fulfill the purpose of God for our lives. Stand with me all over this house. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Evangelist Jeremy Cook. If you would like more information regarding New Season Ministry, to schedule Jeremy to minister at your event, or to support the ministry with a love gift, please contact us at 859-404-4007. Or you may email him at pastorjeremycook at gmail.com. 
God bless, and we will see you next time on New Season Ministry. Thank you.